Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscum All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. We've got a lengthy show this week, again, this is actually going to be a, uh, an eight-page outline this time, if you can believe that. Most of it is just uh, news. But before we get into the details, I do want to take a moment to uh, give my best wishes to the folks in Texas. I've got a lot of friends and classmates out there, and it looks like we've got several hundred subscribers to the podcast in Texas. So if you happen to be in the area affected by the floods, um, please know that you're in our prayers. Uh, I did make a donation to some of the relief efforts on Sunday. I hope all of you who are not in Texas and have the uh, means to do so will consider uh, chipping in as well, because it's a mess. The, uh, the live streams are bad enough, and then the forecast is for even more rain, uh, even as you're listening to this on Monday. So please keep the folks in Texas in your thoughts and consider breaking out your checkbook if you can. Uh, some podcast notes. Next week, we are going to have our Law 140 on the contours of the First Amendment with the context of uh, free speech, hate speech, fire in a crowded theater, all of that stuff. We've talked about it before when it comes to defamation, but now we're going to talk about it with respect to incitement because that's been a frequent uh, word of choice, particularly this past week, as our beloved Papaya Potus, Donald Trump, had a campaign rally in Phoenix where he spent his effort trying to talk about how evil the media was. The week after that, so the week after Labor Day, I'm on vacation. I've not had a vacation in about three years. My girlfriend and I are celebrating our 10-year anniversary of being together, so I've agreed to take at least a couple days off. So what we're going to do, because I want to continue having a podcast on a reliable Monday schedule, we're going to make that the third installment of What the Fisk, or WT Fisk. So if you have any questions for me that you want me to answer, uh, please make sure to tweet the Fiskamall account on Twitter. That is at Fiskamall, at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. Use the hashtag Fisk. That's hashtag F-S-C-K. Usually I take about four questions. I might do a little extra since I'll be on vacation. I can record it ahead of time. Uh, But please make sure to send me your questions if you have them, because that will be the episode two weeks from now. All right, so for this episode, in the Law 140 section, we are going to talk about the president's pardon powers. Uh, That is going to be a topic that you will hear throughout the episode today discussing uh, Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, So that will be in the back third of the episode. In the middle half, uh, it's going to be a very lengthy list of criminal justice fuckery as usual, and you'll notice that there are some common themes So what we're going to end up doing midway through is christening what will be called the third rule of Fisk. Those of you who have been around for a while know the first rule of Fisk is that police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. The second rule of Fisk is start at the source. We're going to have a third rule of Fisk in the middle of the episode. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I don't want to spoil it, but just know that it's coming. Uh, In political news, I'm going to go through this fairly quickly because there's always a lot. I mean, there's always a lot. I've said in a prior podcast, this is not normal. We are not supposed to have this much political news every single week, but it seems that there's always something going on. So Sebastian Gorka, one of the three outward Nazis in the Trump administration, you had uh, Steve Bannon, Steve Miller, and Gorka is number three, uh, has been fired. Uh, He claims he resigned, but essentially uh, Chief of Staff General John Kelly had Gorka's security clearance yanked. And because of that, he couldn't do his job as a national security advisor to the president. So he has essentially had a forced resignation. 
So that is the first political topic for this week. And that information, of course, came out on Friday after 5 because that politically is the prime time to dump significant news because people are out having dinner, going to the movies. They're not paying attention to the news Friday night, Saturday, or Sunday. By the time Monday rolls around, there's new stories going on. So Gorka's departure came out Friday. Within an hour, there also was an announcement that the president had pardoned uh, Maricopa County, Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and Arpaio had been found in criminal contempt of violating a court order. Essentially, Ar- Arpaio's a mess, and we're going to talk a little bit about just how messy he is in the criminal justice section, because one of the publications in Arizona did a compilation of Sheriff Joe's greatest hits over the past however many years. Uh, but Joe Arpaio's an asshole. Not only is he an asshole, he's an asshole who has total and complete contempt for the United States Constitution and its Bill of Rights. It's telling that people like Sheriff Joe and uh, that clown show fuck Sheriff Clark up in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, are the type of people that Trump elevates because these are guys that don't give a flying fuck at all about the rule of law and people die at their hands and they think that's great, that's awesome. They write a book, run for office, etc., etc. Well, Joe had been ordered to stop violating the Constitution because what he was doing was that he was pulling over United States citizens, and if they happened to look just a little bit too brown, a little too Mexican, uh, he would go ahead and profile them and have them arrested, detained, whatever else, on suspicion of being illegal aliens. And the court said this is wrong. You have to have reasonable suspicion to stop somebody. You can't just do it because of the fact they look a little dark to you. Uh, And Joe basically told the judge to fuck off. He was going to keep doing it anyway. So the judge was not pleased, held him in criminal contempt, and President Trump decided that he was going to issue him a full and complete pardon. Now, we'll talk about what that entails in the Law 140 segment, but it's one of those things where it's sending a message, essentially. One, it sends a message to the judiciary that Trump gives absolutely zero fucks about the justice system. The rule of law, all of it, he doesn't care. But it's also going to be a message to all of his associates currently being deposed, interrogated, investigated by Bob Mueller and the people looking into the Russia stuff. Because if he's going to pardon Sheriff Joe, a guy who we all can agree is terrible, what's that say to General Flynn, to Paul Manafort, to anyone who's still serving and hasn't been interviewed yet? Essentially what it says is if Trump likes you, Or maybe Sheriff Joe has dirt on Trump. I don't know. But if you're part of the team, Trump is going to give you a pardon and doesn't care about the political fallout. So it would be best for you to keep your mouth shut or lie to investigators or whatever it takes to preserve the Trump empire. So that's the main message that that pardon sends. And at this point, the only backstop is Congress. Now, pardoning somebody can be an impeachable offense. It's something where that's part of the checks and balances that is baked in. If a president grants a pardon that the Congress decides is too odious, they have the ability to impeach him because of it. Now, I don't expect that to happen because we all know that Congress critters are spineless, and in particular, the Republican Congress critters have been totally fucking useless at checking this president and reining in his excesses, his anti-constitutional destruction of the norms that we've taken for granted for decades. But they've got the power to do it. They also have the power to not fund his priorities, to pass laws that piss him off and override his vetoes, and I hope that they start doing that because it's it's gotten progressively worse over the past seven months. 
and they've not really done anything. They talk about their expressions of concern, their little aides inside the congressional offices. It's same in the White House, too, frankly, these little unnamed White House officials who want to have their expressions of consternation and whatever else. You know, it's time to man up, guys. All right. There's been reports that Mitch McConnell and the president got into a shouting match. There was a profile about how they're engaged in a Cold War. Start running the show. You look in the Constitution. Who's got the first article? It's not the president. It's the Congress. You can run this entire government without him and his people. It can be done. You block his appointees until he appoints people that you want. You refuse to fund his priorities until he appoints people that you want. You pass laws to do what you want, and if he vetoes it, you work with the Democrats to get a veto override. There's enough important issues that have bipartisan support that you don't need this incompetent clown show fuck in the Oval Office. Fuck. Impeach him and get rid of him. Take Mike Pence. It doesn't really matter. Anything would be better than what we've got right now. So that happened as well. And, and to highlight how utterly bonkers our political system has gotten, I'm going to play you two clips, one from the Secretary of State and one from the Secretary of Defense. So first up, this is Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State. He is the next in line to the presidency after the vice president and the Speaker of the House. The Secretary of State is number four. And this is from an interview he has with Chris Wallace of Fox News Sunday. When the president gets into the kind of controversy he does and the U.N. committee responds the way it does, it seems to say they, they begin to doubt our, whether we're living those values. I don't believe anyone doubts the American people's values or the commitment of the American government or the government's agencies to advancing those values and defending those values. And, and the president's values? The president speaks for himself, Chris. Holy shit. Think about how amazing that is. The Secretary of State has essentially disavowed the president's commentary on American values. The president speaks for himself. He does not speak for the country. No, that, that we elect the president to speak for the country. That's part of the job. That's why he is the chief executive. Wow. You know, so to have a Secretary of State playing damage control, that's crazy to me. But then I want to play this clip from Secretary of Defense Mattis, who I've said before, this guy is the only guy in the cabinet with any integrity left. He's refused from the beginning all the way to that first idiotic cabinet meeting, refused to bow down and kiss Trump's signet ring. This is him talking to the troops overseas. You're a great example for our country right now. It's got some problems. You know it and I know it. Got problems that we won't, we don't have in the military, and you just you just hold the line, my fine young soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines. You just hold the line until our country gets back to understanding and respecting each other and showing it, of being friendly to one another. You know that Americans owe to one another. We're so doggone lucky to be Americans, and we got two powers: power of inspiration. We'll get the power of inspiration back. We got the power of intimidation, and that's you. If someone wants to screw with our families and our country or our allies, okay? Now, the audio for that isn't all that great. It was recorded from someone's cell phone, but there there were several lines in there that are just astonishing. He tells the he tells the troops, just hold the line until essentially the country can get its shit together. He talks about the power of inspiration and how the country is going to get that back, meaning we don't fucking have it. That's that's a, it's true. Don't don't misunderstand me. It's absolutely true. We are totally fucked at the moment. 
but it blows my mind that I grew up during the 80s. I was a Reagan baby, Cold War, you know, post-Cold War peace under uh, George H.W. Bush and then the two terms of Clinton leading the global war on terror under George W. Bush, having Obama with trying to unwind at least some of it, you know, to be at a point now where we have the Cheeto-in-Chief as our spokesperson to the world, and it's so bad that your Secretary of Defense is telling troops in theater that we no longer have the power to inspire people around the world is sad. It's absolutely sad. True, but sad. So that's the that's the main political news. Let's go into the criminal justice news because there's some hybrid segue stuff between criminal justice and politics. Part of that is Dorito Duterte rolling back Obama's prohibition on giving recycled military gear to local police departments. Uh, a memo leaked to USA Today has disclosed that things like MRAPs, your tactical helicopters, your RPG launchers, your uh, AR-15s and whatever else, all that shit, when it's done being used in Iraq and Afghanistan, we're going to give it to Barney Fife and any random police department in the countryside for him to patrol the battlefields that are our neighborhoods. Uh, I cannot understand for the life of me why this makes any fucking sense while we're doing it, but Attorney General Beauregard Sessions is supposed to be speaking to the Fraternal Order of the Police uh, later today to unveil this new plan. That's going to be coming out. Uh, also out of Washington, turns out the Secret Service is broke. They have been spending so much money to protect the president as he repeatedly goes to his various golf courses and other properties to enrich himself, as well as protecting his family, that they have burned through their entire protection budget, and the new fiscal year for the federal government doesn't start until October 1st. Uh, the Brookings Institution has a study out on the economic mobility of black men, and they find that that doesn't really exist. They don't have economic mobility now, even 150 years after the Civil War, and that's after controlling for all sorts of co-variables. Uh, one of the big contributors that they mention is the systematic targeting of people of color for crime. Turns out that both whites and blacks report using marijuana at roughly the exact same rates, and yet black men are four times, 400 percent, more likely to be arrested for that particular offense. Uh, the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Law, their law review, has a new uh, piece out entitled Resisting Arrest and Racism, The Crime of Disrespect. It's authored by attorney Scott Holmes, who is a Durham, North Carolina-based attorney. He teaches the Civil Litigation Clinic at North Carolina Central University School of Law and does a lot of work defending protesters. Uh, one of the things that he mentions in this law review piece is a case out of Durham where a guy by the name of John Hill was crossing the street on his bike and Durham police officer Daniels uh, pulls Hill over saying that he crossed the light across uh, the street when the light was still red and says to Hill that he's got a dash cam and Hill's like okay great look at the dash cam I promise you that the light was green well ended up officer Daniels beat the shit out of Hill forced him onto the ground put him in a chokehold bashed his head open broke his arm and ended up charging him with resisting arrest as the only offense there's no other charges there but he was charged with resisting arrest uh, the good news is that case was eventually dismissed, but Holmes goes through a number of those other cases here in Durham and other spots 
spots around the country. Uh, and it's just one of those ways where police are using uh, the resisting arrest charge, even with no other charges to go with it, as a way of exerting control over minorities. Uh, Reuters has an investigative piece on Taser, the company that makes those uh, stun guns, and how Taser immediately involves itself when someone dies and their weapons could potentially be implicated. The minute they get a notice, they send emails to the department with all kinds of information, all kinds of ways to get forensics to their particular doctor paid by them who can then come up with autopsy information claiming that their weapons weren't responsible. It's a thorough investigation. It's freaky as shit. I'm a very pro free market guy. I mean, I'm, I'm very anti-government as far as that goes. I enjoy a laissez-faire economy, but this is just wrong. So we'll give you that link. The Guardian out of the UK has a multi-part series on immigration enforcement in our K-12 public schools, including how ICE has this incestuous relationship with local police. One of the things they mentioned to start the story is three kids uh, who were accused of showing gang signs, even though one was just having on a particular shirt, uh, one was dapping up one of his friends, and one guy was drawing in his notebook. But these were all considered gang signs. They were suspended and arrested, and before they could even have a hearing as to whether or not they had actually done what they were accused of, uh, ICE was notified and they were whisked off to a detention facility in Atlanta uh, before anything could ever happen. Uh, this investigation covers cases out of California, Pennsylvania, uh, Wake County, North Carolina. Uh, it's another thorough one that we will give you the link to. Uh, Samson Yangwei on Twitter, I've mentioned him before. He does a lot of studies on mass incarceration uh, and shares a lot of really important information. He did some math in a Twitter thread that I hadn't really thought about, but it's a valid point. He notes that there are one and a half million people, roughly, who are currently in prisons. So these aren't jails. These are the prisons. There are far more people than jails. But out of those one and a half million people in prison, about two-thirds of them, 60%, are working full-time in the prison as part of their punishment, making 14 cents an hour doing various jobs. And he said that if you were to pay them minimum wage, what would that do to the budget? And minimum wage, I'm not even sure what it is right now. It's, it's $7.15 maybe. Don't quote me on that. I've, uh, I've been running my own law firm, so we, we pay our people higher than the minimum wage. I haven't paid it much attention. Um, but he's got a point. I mean, whatever it is, it's a lot more than $0.14 cents an hour. So it, it highlights the need for the government to have a steady supply of people in the prisons because if they didn't, you'd have the whole system collapse on itself. They'd have to close prisons or lay off personnel. That's uh, food for thought. In court news, the D.C. Superior Court, a judge has ordered web host provider DreamHost, who is my web host provider, uh, to turn over email addresses, IP information, and other, other identifying info for anyone who visited the anti-Trump website disruptj20.org. Apparently, this was a group of folks that were toying with the idea of disrupting the presidential inauguration. Prosecutors are arguing that they need to charge anyone who went to the site, uh, claiming that they were providing supplies or encouragement to support rioters. And the judge has said that that's a fair point. Fuck the First Amendment. Free speech doesn't matter. Uh, go ahead and give all of this information to the prosecution. It is a terrifying order. Uh, it's going to chill free speech. I don't know if it'll be overturned, frankly. Uh, but first, kudos to DreamHost for at least standing up for their users and fighting for it. If any of you want to set up a website, I strongly encourage using DreamHost as your hosting provider. Uh, but that's just terrifying. So we'll give you a story on that one in the show notes. The Ninth Circuit, and a bit of good news, 
had an in-bank hearing in Bracken v. Chung uh, where they denied qualified immunity to a Honolulu police officer. Essentially, uh, Dylan Bracken was at a hotel and went to a New Year's Eve party that he wasn't invited to. Uh, Chung, who is the police officer, was off-duty, but in his police uniform, uh, detained Dylan, took him to the management office, and just stood there as the private security guards beat the shit out of him for going to this party that he wasn't invited to, because I guess that's how they do things in Hawaii. I don't know. Uh, anyhow, uh, Dylan sued, and a, both a district court and a three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit said that Chung had qualified immunity because he was in his police officer uniform. It didn't, viola- uh, didn't uh, violate any clearly established constitutional rights not to have the shit beat out of you for going to a party. Um, and then the full Ninth Circuit has reversed. I don't know if that'll get appealed to the Supreme Court, but that's a tiny bit of good news because not only does that apply to that particular case, uh, but as a circuit level precedent, it will apply to all of the states in the Ninth Circuit. So not just Hawaii, but also California, Oregon, Washington, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In state-specific news in Arizona, the Phoenix New Times did a Twitter thread recapping Sheriff Joe's greatest hits from their media coverage over the decades, including the fact that Sheriff Joe allowed child molesters to walk free as long as their victims happened to be illegal immigrants, uh, killed an infant in one case, had a reporter arrested for investigating him, hired a private investigator to look into judges who were considering having him held in contempt, faked his own assassination, and had a guy do Uh, four years in jail for an assassination attempt that he himself put together. Uh, There's also one particularly gruesome story where his SWAT team went to a house, set it on fire. A dog ran out of the home trying to escape the heat, and his deputies forced the dog back into the house so it could fry to death. So that is the guy your president has pardoned. I will give you the link to that thread. It's revolting. It's disgusting. There's a special place in hell for Joe Opio, I hope. Uh, and God, you know, maybe someone will take care of him before then. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm not going to shed a tear if it happens. Uh, in Phoenix, 29-year-old Joshua Coben uh, kicked a tear gas canister away from protesters who were protesting Trump's Phoenix speech where he was announcing Arpaio's pardon. Uh, so the police shot him in the nuts. And of course, this is on video because the first rule of Fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. So there's a video of this guy kicking the canister away so that people aren't choking to death on tear gas, and he gets shot in the nuts for it. In California, in San Diego, Superior Court Judge Gary Creep, and I can't make up this guy's last name, but actually is Creep, uh, had a lengthy account where he told a Hispanic public defender that he loved her accent but wouldn't have her deported, uh, gave the city attorney a nickname because she was a, quote, beautiful black woman, so he started calling her Star Parker instead of her actual name, Uh, gave a different city attorney the nickname the Pretty Brown One. Uh, The public defender interns had nicknames like Bunhead or Miss Dimples, Uh, asked a female defendant charged with prostitution if she, quote, just likes the action, repeatedly talked down to any defendants who were, quote, Hispanic appearing, even if they spoke perfect English, saying things, for example, quote, no cerveza, no tequila, 
when he was talking about DUI cases and referred to at least one court employee as, quote, colored. So out of this, as well as several other things where he improperly wound down his private practice law firm while he was waiting to become a judge and all of that, this guy on the bench in California only got censured. So we will give you the full court opinion so you can read through it. It's far worse than just that stuff. But just know that once you're a judge, you can get away with pretty much anything, and they're not going to do anything about it. Uh, Over in Florida, In Lakeland, nine members of the Lakeland uh, Police Department's K-9 unit were suspended for speeding 101 miles an hour. And that seems bad, which it is. We've had police kill pedestrians after doing things like that. But what were they speeding? Were they going to a particular important scene of a crime or anything like that? No, ladies and gentlemen, they were returning from the United States Police K-9 Association Regional Field Trials. It was a K-9 competition. Now, the speeding is bad enough, but when you actually go through the story, you find something that's a little bit worse. So I'm going to give you a quote. It says, quote, During the investigation, it was revealed from video footage recovered from Officer Barrett's in-car camera system that while in the city of Gulf Breeze, he was traveling 84 miles an hour in an area with a posted speed of 45 miles an hour. The Lakeland Police Department's marked police cars are equipped with an in-car camera system. One feature of the camera system enables it to automatically begin recording when the vehicle speeds reach 75 miles an hour. When questioned, five of the officers, Corey Bowling, Virgil Cardin, John McLaughlin, Travis Miller, and Chad Whitaker, admitted to filling up their in-car camera system's SD cards specifically to prevent recordings of their travels to and from the competition. So these guys are deliberately mucking up the recording system with data so that it can't record anything new so that they can break the law with impunity. Makes you wonder what else they're doing that's totally illegal. In Sunrise, Florida, 28-year-old Army veteran Kristen Ambury was an ordnance specialist and an EMT, an emergency medical technician, working for the Army. And she had returned and, like many veterans, was struggling with post-traumatic stress and depression and had threatened to take her own life. So the Broward County Sheriff's Office decided that they would go ahead and do that for her. The SWAT uh, deputies broke into her home. And this, this is a quote from the article because the article is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense when you actually read it and think about it. Uh, it says, quote, Broward Sheriff's deputies said SWAT broke into her home to try to save her life. Sunrise police officers responded to Water's Edge Apartments because Amberry was suicidal. Relatives said she appeared to be under the influence of alcohol and struggled with her mental health. Vita Coleman-Wright, a BSO spokeswoman, said Amberry was home alone. When police officers couldn't negotiate with her, SWAT team officers entered her home. Neighbors said there was a tent standoff and they heard five to six shots about 7.30 p.m. Amberry was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, at the tail end of this article, it says that Amberry turned to her gun as a solution to her mental health problems. Guess what? She didn't turn to her fucking gun, guys, all right? You're not going to be able to shoot yourself in the head five or six times. You just can't do it. You're going to shoot yourself once, and you'll be dead. Turns out that the sheriff's deputies are the ones who shot her. So the reporter's an idiot. The sheriff's officer's an idiot. 
and you have yet another veteran killed by police because rather than providing mental health assistance, which is what they should be doing, they send in the fucking SWAT unit. Jesus Christ. Uh, Over in Georgia, y'all might remember last week we mentioned Gwinnett County Judge Jim Hinkle, who said that uh, protesters taking down statues were equivalent to ISIS. Uh, He was a proud, deplorable infidel, etc., etc. He was suspended for his idiotic comments and then decided he was just going to take that opportunity to go ahead and resign entirely. So Judge Jim Hinkle is no longer a judge. In Illinois, as a reminder of how broken Chicago's judicial system is, uh, Roosevelt Miles was framed for murder by Chicago detective Reynaldo Guevara, and he is only one of 51 different people uh, who Guevara has fabricated evidence against over several decades. He was sentenced to 60 years in jail. Eight years into that sentence, the Court of Appeals ordered a new trial for Miles because of the fact that this officer is fabricating evidence against people. Guys, that was 16 years and seven months ago. So he's done a total of 24 years, and he's still awaiting that new trial. He's still sitting in jail. They still have not had this new trial. The Court of Appeals order is still sitting there. The judge has not moved anything. The uh, prosecutors have not moved anything. He's just sitting there rotting uh, because there's a pretty good chance that the cop has faked it all, and we're not doing anything about it. Uh, In Louisiana, in Ville Platte, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't actually know my French that well. Uh, Evangeline Parrish. Three kids were walking along a street that does not have any sidewalks, and all three of them got hit by a truck. Now, if that's bad enough, you got to ask, what did the police do? Did they ticket the truck driver for running over pedestrians? Did they do nothing at all because it's an accident and just hope that insurance takes care of it? No, they actually ticketed all three of these black, by the way, uh, young men for obstructing a public roadway. That is the charge. Obstructing a public passage. So Louisiana is crazy as hell, and you should not want to live there. Uh, In Maryland, (laughs) Jesus, stop me if you've heard this story before, okay? Baltimore, a third body cam video has come out showing Baltimore police planning yet more drugs, what they describe as, quote, a reenactment of the seizure of evidence. A reenactment, like we're running fucking movie productions right now. If you don't have your body camera on to begin with, that's a problem because the job of the body cam is to record what the fuck you're doing. So when I mentioned at the beginning of the episode what we're going to christen as the third rule of Fisk, it's really here where I kind of realized we needed to come up with it because there are no new stories. There are just new names, new jurisdictions, sometimes the same fucking jurisdiction. It's always the same shit, just reheated. So the third rule of Fisk is going to be there are no new stories, only new names and new jurisdictions because this is outrageous, Maryland with their third body cam planning evidence. In Massachusetts, up in Boston, the state legislature is considering a bill that would enable police to issue citations for minor offenses instead of arresting people. Uh, It'd be a nice approach. I'm surprised they're not doing it already, but we'll see if it actually passes. Uh, Over in Missouri, in Jefferson City, and this is insane to me. I'm surprised that we have any kind of political leadership in this country. Uh, Republican Governor Eric Reitens, who is a former Navy SEAL, uh, has issued a stay of execution for Marcellus Williams, who was scheduled to die last Tuesday. 2001, 2001, DNA evidence wasn't tested until 2015, after the guy had gone to trial and already been convicted. Well, it turns out that that DNA evidence shows that he didn't commit the crime. Now, normally, that would be a case to get you out of prison when DNA shows that you didn't do it. But the Missouri Attorney General's office is arguing that the 
execution should be carried out because the DNA evidence, which is actual bona fide scientific evidence that most of us have come to find fairly reliable, uh, they argue that it doesn't overcome non-DNA evidence that connects that particular inmate, Mr. Williams, to the crime. So what uh, Governor Greitens has said is that he's going to stay the execution, turn the matter over to a five-member board of inquiry to look into it. And, you know, it's astonishing to me that a guy's life was hanging in the balance. He was scheduled to die on Tuesday. He didn't get the, uh, the stay until I think it was either Tuesday morning or Monday night. Like, wow. So props to Governor Greitens to making sure that it's done correctly. Uh, I've ended up, I used to be a supporter of the death penalty a long time. You know, I still think it's constitutional. It's something where it was legit when we enacted the Constitution. And so, of course, it's still going to be the case now. But I've become an opponent of it because I don't think the government is competent to exercise it effectively. You know, there are some people that I think do deserve the death penalty. I think Joe R. Pyle is one of them, frankly. But I don't think the government is capable of using it without fucking it up. So... Props to the governor for making sure that if they're going to execute somebody, they at least make sure they've got the right guy. In Nevada, a Las Vegas jury has refused to convict the four accessories as part of the uh, Clive and Bundy standoff with the Bureau of Land Management years ago. Y'all right remember, Bundy was the, uh, the welfare king that was having his cattle graze on public land. And then when the government said, hey, wait a minute, this isn't your land. Stop having your cattle graze. Uh, he sounded the alarm and had a bunch of white people with guns show up to stare down the government, claiming the mantle of being oppressed, even though this bastard was essentially taking stuff that wasn't his. I mean, this is this is comedy in a sense. I mean, this guy is talking about, you know, how the government is oppressing everyone. Uh, because he wants stuff that he's not willing to purchase or pay for himself. He just wants to take other people's things. The whole reason why the government exists is to stop you from doing that. Uh, anyhow, so the, the trial against Bundy and his kin is still pending. But for these particular accessories, most of the charges were dismissed against two of the guys. All of the charges were dismissed against the other two. So we'll see if that even bothers to proceed. In New Mexico, uh, a woman named Jennifer Padilla was on probation after previously being convicted with uh, drugs. She's had a long-standing history of depression and using drugs to cope. She was in a halfway house trying to get her life together when she got a call from her boyfriend. Said that he was desperate to get connected with a meth dealer. She needed to uh, call some of the people that she used to know to help him out because he claimed that he had been robbed and his life was in jeopardy if he didn't hook up with someone in the drug trade so he could start slinging drugs and get some money up to pay back these people. She connected him with one guy reluctantly after initially telling him no. They apparently talked to that guy. Boyfriend called back, said she needed to connect him with another guy. So she did because she loved this guy. Well, it turns out that boyfriend was an informant for the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms folks with the federal government. So she has ended up being charged as an accessory to uh, doing this drug deal. This is classic entrapment. What has happened is that the law on entrapment has been so watered down over the course of decades that the government now goes fishing for crime. They create crime ex nihilo from the ether. They just go ahead and create it from scratch in order to arrest people that they previously arrested. It's the stupidest fucking system you could possibly imagine. And that's what we've got going with the federal government and countless state governments all over the country. So Padilla is currently in jail. Her attorneys are working to get her released, arguing that she was entrapped by the government scheme. 
but we'll see how that turns out. Over in New York, we got three stories out of New York City. In the Bronx, attorney Emma Ketteringham has an editorial in the New York Times on child abuse and neglect cases involving parents who it turns out aren't bad. They just happen to live in poor neighborhoods. And it's a very, it's a sobering read. So just go ahead and read it. One of the things, for example, is that it's a challenge to keep your kids fed when you've got a rat infestation in your apartment building and the rats eat your food. So you've got to find a way to store the food the rats can't get to it, or you got to eat out. That costs money. If you don't have it, you guys go hungry. It's a, it's a mess. Uh, over in Brooklyn, Colin Warner is the subject of a new movie out called Crown Heights. He spent 21 years in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. He's got an editorial in USA Today detailing how uh, justice is elusive if you're not rich. We talked a little bit about that last week where poor folks were taking pleas because they can't afford the burden of being involved in the system. Uh, he also talks about how parole boards focus on keeping inmates locked up unless those inmates admit guilt and express remorse. Well, what do you do for the people who happen to be wrongly convicted? Which I think there's been enough examples over the course of however many years now to realize that that happens pretty frequently. Uh, so that is in USA Today. Also out of New York City, several NYPD officers were being flown on a military plane to Afghanistan to teach counterterrorism tactics to soldiers. Uh, what the New York Police Department knows about counterterrorism that soldiers don't, I don't particularly know, but supposedly that's a thing. Uh, so here's a quote from the story. NYPD counterterrorism chief James Waters was headed to Kabul with Lieutenant Chris Zimmerman, commander of the hostage negotiation team, along with four other top police officers to teach counterterrorism tactics to soldiers. But they spent a flight delay drinking at Baltimore Washington International Airport on August 10th and had to abandon the trip altogether when crew on their military charter decided at least two of the officers were too wasted to fly. So these guys basically had a layover, got completely plastered to the point where they couldn't fly on a military aircraft. The only reason they were even going to be on a military aircraft as opposed to private aircraft is because they insisted on taking their own guns, even though the military said they would give them plenty of guns when they arrived. So that is your New York Police Department. In Schenectady, New York, 22-year-old Jawan Parker was arrested for drugs and accused of resisting arrest. Uh, video, first, the police department's press release said essentially this guy was just beating the shit out of all of the police officers. You know, one guy claims that uh, he has a, a black eye. Another guy claims that his arm got hurt. But then it turns out this is on video because someone recorded first rule of Fisk. And there are at least six officers on top of Parker's body as he's face down over a curb. Uh, they basically beat the shit out of him until Parker is completely knocked out. He's unconscious. And you see four officers carry his totally limp body to the police car to put him in as family is shouting, wondering whether or not he is dead. So that is in Schenectady, New York. In my home state of North Carolina, we've had a lot of stuff going on here uh, in Roxborough. Well, I guess technically it's Greensboro. I'm not entirely sure how we want to identify this, but y'all might remember we've had a couple stories now on the district attorney up the street from me in Person County, Wallace Bradshaw, as well as an attorney in the county over in Rockingham, Craig Blitzer, and how these two guys, Republicans both, conspired together uh, to basically fleece the state for several thousands of dollars as each one hired the other guy's wife and the wives didn't do any work. Well, they both resigned. They've both been charged with misdemeanors because we apparently let people get away with that stuff when they're elected officials. And as part of the plea 
agreement, Blitzer agreed to cooperate in the civil suit filed against Bradsher. So a new affidavit has come out that says, quote, former Rockingham County District Attorney Craig Blitzer has admitted that even before he was elected, he and former person Caswell County District Attorney Wallace Bratcher schemed to hire their spouses and allow his wife Cindy to collect unearned pay. Both Blitzers provided affidavits to attorneys and described how they worked with Wallace Bratcher and his wife Pamela to collect the money, and also stated that Majid Hassan, an employee from the NC Administrative Office of the Courts, tried to help cover up the scheme by tipping off Blitzer that the SBI planned to raid his office and that he needed to wipe his computer clean. The corruption is astonishing, and these guys were putting people in jail for whatever. Uh, in Yanceyville, Caswell County, same spot that Bradshaw used to cover, uh, assault with a deadly weapon inflicting serious injury charges have been dismissed against Chris Barker, who is the Imperial Wizard of the Loyal White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, essentially, back after Trump got elected, there was a Klan parade in Roxborough, and two of the guys that helped put that parade together got into a fight at this guy's house uh, prior to the parade, so they were both arrested. So Barker was one of the people involved. Uh, William Hagen, who is the Grand Dragon of that particular clan chapter in California, was involved. And the two of them were in the process of trying to kill a clan guy from Indiana. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, that's how they do. Anyhow, charges have been dismissed because the victim has fled the state and refuses to come back to testify. While we're on the topic of racists, in Alamance County, uh, the county commissioner, Tim Sutton, was one of several people who commented on the potential removal of Confederate statues, and Sutton decided that he is going to go ahead and defend these statues to the death and provided this lengthy quote to everyone who was present, quote, I will never vote to do anything to take that statue or monument away from here for whatever reason. If it comes down, it goes back up. To heck with facts. The emotions have just gone haywire. I am not going to be a victim of political correctness. I'm just not going to do it. Label me all you want. Say what you will about me. I'm not ashamed of my great-grandfather. He did what he did. It is my understanding that when he died from Sarah, my grandmother, that some guys on the farm, you can call them slaves if you want to, but I would just call them workers, that they raised a good bit of my family. When the time came, my great-grandmother gave them land. I'm not going to be an assault on logic, an assault on the history of this country and the heritage of this area in this country, not going to do it. There's a lot of bullshit in that particular statement. You know, for him to say to heck with facts, the emotions have just gone haywire. Those are two contradictions. Either you care about facts or you care about emotion. Pick one. But then you got this line, you could call them slaves, but I would just call them workers. Guess what, buddy? Workers get paid. They don't just get paid when someone dies and your great-grandmother wants to give them some land. I mean, can you imagine if, you know, I hate to invoke World War II because I'm violating Godwin's law here, but if the Jews were given some land from Auschwitz afterwards, who the fuck is going to want that? No one's going to want to stick around a concentration camp, okay? Same deal with slaves on plantations. They're not going to want to own the land where they were whipped beaten, done whatever to, and not paid for it for however many decades of their life, you fucking imbecile. But then on top of it, we're talking about the fact that these slaves raised this guy's family, and he's more concerned about a monument to white traitors rather than the black people that enabled him to be where he is today. It's completely fucked up, but that's your political leadership in Alamance County. Fuck him. Uh, down in Onslow County, you might recall that we had a story previously 
about the Jacksonville uh, sheriff's deputy pedophile rapist who was shot dead by the 18-year-old girl that he had been abusing since she was 12. And I mentioned that Sheriff Hans Miller posted a fake comment from Socrates purportedly about slander and threatened that there was going to be consequences. Well, it turns out he tried to make good on that. The sheriff had a Gerald Jackson arrested. He was the guy that was reporting on a lot of this story. Had him arrested on cyber-stalking charges, claiming that uh, he was cyber-stalking a Cheryl Denise Ramsey, who was one of the sheriff's uh, big supporters. Well, at the hearing on the cyber-stalking charge, the judge dismissed the case. Ramsey lost her shit, and she herself ended up getting arrested uh, because she happened to have drugs and drug paraphernalia on her and had them at the jail as well. So that case has been brought to an end. Ramsey is now in jail. We'll see what continues to happen with the murder of that particular deputy. While we're on the topic of drugs in jail, uh, in Wake County, in Raleigh, just 20 minutes south of me, uh, 25-year-old Andrew Richard Bird who was an employee of the Wake County Detention Center Annex on Hammond Road, has been charged with possession of a controlled substance and selling drugs to inmates, because apparently that's a thing we do here in North Carolina. Uh, Over in Ohio and Akron, 17-year-old Xavier McMullen allegedly shot and killed himself while he was handcuffed in the back of a patrol car. Uh, He was one of three people arrested on suspicion of robbery. McMullen was placed in a car separate from the other two suspects, and a shot was fired as police searched the house. This apparently is another wizard. We got another one. You know, those of you that have been paying attention to police brutality news for a while might recall that here in Durham back in 2013, a Jesus Huerta, another 17-year-old who had been arrested, magically managed to kill himself, handcuffed with the uh, arms behind his back in a patrol car, somehow got to a gun and was able to point it at his head. Don't understand the physics of how that all works, uh, but this Xavier McMullen is now dead, pretty much the same reason. You know, there, there's two possible ways that this can go. One, of course, is the nefarious way that the police executed this kid and they're trying to cover it up. The other, the best case scenario, is that the officer is criminally negligent and didn't actually bother to pat the kid down to see if he had a weapon. There is no situation here, door number one or number two, that makes the police look good. These guys are fucking idiots. Uh, Over in Cleveland, Ohio, a group of Cleveland Browns players knelt in a circle during the national anthem, uh, and the Ohio Supreme Court Justice Bill O'Neill lost his shit, went on social media to say, quote, congratulations, Cleveland Browns, on your win. Unfortunately, my season ended last night. I will never attend a sporting event where the draft-dodging millionaire athletes disrespect the veterans who earned them the right to be on that field. Shame on you all. Never mind that several athletes are, in fact, themselves veterans. That's another issue entirely. Or that several veterans end up being treated like shit when they come back to this country because they happen to be black. Can you imagine going to fight for your country in Afghanistan or Iraq? You come back and you find yourself being arrested or, like the young lady in Florida, killed by the SWAT team? These are the type of people that Colin Kaepernick and everyone else was kneeling for. That's what this is about. So to Justice O'Neill, fuck you. Uh, And actually, one of the comments to the news story made me laugh. Someone quoted, uh, posted rather, quote, there is no draft to dodge except the NFL draft. These fools got drafted by the Browns, the Browns. It's like the Afghanistan of NFL teams with fewer natural resources to pillage. So that's over in Ohio. In Oklahoma, the third rule of Fisk coming into play again. You might recall the story we had a couple weeks ago about the Chicago cop who beat a woman after she was pulled over and handcuffed for DUI. 
and it came out in Discovery that he actually owned several racist websites. Well, in Colbert, Oklahoma, a Bart Owlsbrook, who is the police chief of a four-officer department, uh, is trying to do one better. Not only did he have a racist website, he is building a white nationalist record label. Uh, This actually got exposed because a local media company was investigating hate groups in uh, response to the Charlottesville incident. They noticed that there was a particular spot in uh, Oklahoma nearby. It was a Texas TV station. They saw this thing in Oklahoma, went to go investigate, found out that Allsbrook had created this organization, this white nationalist record label, uh, several years ago, was building this up and had only recently gotten hired to be a police officer with that particular department. Something to remember, uh, trying to get white nationalists, Nazis, Klansmen into the armed forces, into the police department, has been a recruitment strategy for a while. The Department of Homeland Security warned about this back in, I want to say, 2006. Uh, It's been a known problem for a very long time, and we're starting to see some of the impact of it. In Texas, we have a lot of stories from Texas. Uh, In Austin, uh, Dan Keller, who is now 75, and Fran Keller, who is now 67, have been officially declared innocent after spending 21 years in prison for crimes that they did not commit. They were arrested as part of this moral panic hysteria about abuse at daycares in the late 1980s. In 1992, they were convicted of being Satanists. Children at the daycare claimed the Kellers sexually assaulted a three-year-old, dismembered babies, tortured pets, and did other things in the, uh, the basement. The doctor who testified fabricated the evidence, later recanted, and it was found to have all been false. These folks gave up 21 years of their life and have only now been declared innocent. In the Rio Grande Valley, uh, Customs and Border Patrol decided that it's going to keep all of its checkpoints manned during Hurricane Harvey, as stupid as that is. And then in San Antonio, ICE dropped off a busload of immigrant women and children at a bus station that was closed because of the hurricane and just left them stranded there. Uh, Congress critter Lloyd Doggett, who represents the area, called ICE and essentially said, guys, we've got a hurricane. What the fuck are you doing? Don't bring a bus here. Uh, ICE ignored them, brought the bus anyway. When they got there, just said, bye, see ya. These folks had no money, don't speak English, but they just decided to leave them there in the middle of one of the worst hurricanes Texas has ever seen and unprecedented historical flooding. And that's just apparently how ICE works because they have no fucking humanity. We have set up a system where enforcement of the rule of law completely debases the people tasked with enforcing it. They completely lose any semblance of being human beings. It's fucking ridiculous. Uh, In San Jacinto County, Sheriff's Deputy Chase Welch shot 48-year-old Vance May during a security check at a local convenience store a couple weeks ago. Good news is May's expected to recover. Astonishing news is, turns out Welch shot and killed two different men in two different incidents at a prior employment just up the street. Uh, He actually worked for the Beaumont Police Department back in 2016, shot and killed 22-year-old Herbert Balance IV in March 2016, shot and killed 23-year-old Chaz York while he was off-duty in October 2016, resigned in February 2017 as investigations into those cases were ongoing, and magically managed to get himself a job with the San Jacinto County Sheriff's Office, where he is now already shot yet another person. This is one of the side effects of having no standards, no nationalized database, no tracking of any kind 
of police shooting people, they can just go kill a couple folks in one jurisdiction, resign, and magically get hired someone else like it's no fucking deal. You might recall, new third rule of Fisk, there are no new stories, only new faces and jurisdictions. Uh, Shelby Fields, who summarily executed Terrence Crutcher and left the department in Oklahoma, is now a sheriff's deputy there. It's astonishing that we don't have any kind of tracking. You don't fucking care. I mean, we just hire these people to kill civilians willy-nilly, and they keep finding employment. Uh, Over in Virginia, in Charlottesville, we talked before about how the police didn't do much to stop any of the aggression going on during the protests and the counter-protests over the Robert E. Lee statue. Now, at the time, I thought that was the right move. You know, it's something where we repeatedly see police intervene to limit or stop First Amendment-protected expression. So the fact that the Charlottesville police stood back, I thought, was a good thing. Well, it turns out that as part of their efforts, or lack thereof, it wasn't that they were encouraging First Amendment expression, it's that they just didn't want to get involved, because the ACLU has released a new video where a white nationalist shouts out, hey, N-word, hey, pulls out a gun and fucking shoots at a guy, and then walks off. And you see like a string of about 10 police officers just looking at him and shrugging their collective shoulders, like, holy shit. You know, it's one thing to yell loudly back and forth at people. It's another thing to throw bottles and whatnot at people. It's another thing entirely to pull out a fucking gun, shout a racial epithet right before you try and shoot somebody, and the police just let it ride. That's a problem. I don't know what the fuck is going on in Charlottesville, but it puts a new shade on what I had seen from a couple weeks ago. So, folks, that covers the criminal justice news. Let's go ahead and segue into our Law 140 segment on the Joe Arpaio pardon and the pardon powers of the Papaya POTUS. So a month ago today, we actually had a special patron-only bonus episode on our Patreon page about whether or not Donald Trump could pardon himself, whether or not that was part of the president's uh, pardon powers under the United States Constitution. So if you still want to know that particular snippet of it, you can go to the Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash fisk, that is slash F-S-C-K. Sign up to be one of our patrons and you can get access to those old bonus episodes. But this one is going to focus on the the general contours of what's called executive clemency and how that's going to apply in the case of Sheriff Joe. So remember the second rule of Fisk, you have to start at the source and the president's pardon powers are covered in Article 2, Section 2, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution. It says, quote, The President shall be Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. He may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. Now, 
One of the main documents that explains how that all works was Federalist Number 69 by Alexander Hamilton. And if you're into reading the Federalist Papers, I really enjoy all of them because they give you a glimpse into how the founders thought as they're creating this structure. For all of their flaws about slavery and everything else, these guys really were brilliant and thought through a lot of things that even now, 260-something years later, we're still facing. They already thought through it. So in Federalist 69... Hamilton contrasts the pardon powers of the president with the pardon powers of the King of England and the pardon powers of the governor of New York, explaining how each one's slightly different and how this particular structure works best because it limits the possibility of corruption. And by exempting impeachments, by prohibiting the president from doing anything involving impeachment, it ensured that the executive could stay in check because if he pardoned people that he shouldn't have, the Congress can then impeach and remove those people if they're elected officials holding federal office, or they can impeach and remove the president. So this whole structure, all of Federalist 69, go through, read it all. It's all very fascinating. But in interpreting that language, the Supreme Court has only weighed in a few times. One of the seminal cases is called Ex Parte Garland. It's from 1866, and it involved an attorney who had been admitted to practice before the Supreme Court prior to the Civil War. He was then seeking readmission to practice to the Supreme Court after the Civil War, and Congress had modified the oath of office to practice in front of the Supreme Court to include a statement that you had not engaged in an armed uprising against the government. Well, Garland couldn't take that oath because he had been part of the Confederacy, but he had received an unconditional pardon from President Andrew Johnson. So the court weighed in and essentially ruled that Congress's modification to the oath was unconstitutional as it was applied to Garland because of that pardon. In discussing the pardon powers, here's what the court said. It said, quote, The Constitution provides that the president shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. The power thus conferred is unlimited, with the exception stated. It extends to every offense known to the law and may be exercised at any time after its commission either before legal proceedings are taken or during their pendency or after conviction and judgment. This power of the president is not subject to legislative control. Congress can either limit the effect of his pardon nor exclude from its exercise any class of offenders. The benign prerogative of mercy reposed in him cannot be fettered by any legislative restrictions. Such being the case, the inquiry arises as to the effect and operation of a pardon, and on this point all the authorities concur. A pardon reaches both the punishment prescribed for the offense and the guilt of the offender, and when the pardon is full, it releases the punishment and blots out of existence the guilt, so that in the eye of the law, the offender is as innocent as if he had never committed the offense. If granted before conviction, it prevents any of the penalties and disabilities consequent upon conviction from attaching. If granted after conviction, it removes the penalties and disabilities and restores him to all his civil rights. It makes him, as it were, a new man and gives him a new credit and capacity." There is only this limitation to its operation. It does not restore offices forfeited or property or interests vested in others in consequence of the conviction and judgment. So that's basically been the law for a while. 
the Department of Justice has a uh, internet frequently asked questions list on executive clemency. And they talk a bit about this. Now, because of the fact the president has the power to pardon someone completely, that also means he has inherent in that the power to do lesser things as well. So one of the most common ones you will hear is what's called a commutation, where someone has their prison term cut short, but otherwise doesn't change anything about the guilt. They're still considered guilty. It's still on their record. They still have any collateral consequences of the conviction. Uh, For example, when you're a federal felon, you're not allowed to own a firearm for the rest of your life. Um, So they talk about commutations on this FAQ list. You also have what's called a remission, which is part of a conviction. There's often court costs and restitution involved. Um, The president has the power to make it so you don't have to pay those things. So I'll give you a link to the Department of Justice FAQs. They're interesting to read because they highlight how out of the ordinary this process was in Arpaio's case. Uh, For example, one of the snippets says, quote, a pardon is an expression of the president's forgiveness and ordinarily is granted in recognition of the applicant's acceptance of responsibility for the crime and established good conduct for a significant period of time after conviction or completion of sentence. Uh, That didn't happen here. Opyro essentially told the judge to fuck off. Uh, Trump told the judge to fuck off. They're all on the same page that the judge needs to fuck off, even though in the process they had been violating the rights of American citizens. So that is the, the contours of pardons versus commutations versus remissions. Uh, So, for example, if you see people talking about uh, Chelsea Manning, who was the Army private that leaked a bunch of information relating to Iraq, uh, one of them was a video where uh, soldiers in a helicopter were basically gunning down an Iraqi family for sport, and they were getting a kick out of it like it was a fucking video game. Um, She was sentenced to, I think, 35 years Uh, served seven, and President Obama commuted the sentence. So she is still technically a federal felon, can't serve on a jury, can't have a gun, can't hold political office, in a lot of cases not going to be able to get a job because it shows up in a background check. Uh, Arpaio was none of those things. All that stuff was completely erased. His uh, contempt of court situation totally gone. Uh, So one of the things that has come up is that Soledad O'Brien tweeted out that now the pardon can be used against Arpaio in civil suits uh, because it's requi- in order to accept the pardon, it's considered an admission of guilt. And that's true as far as it goes. There's actually a United States Supreme Court case, Burdick versus the United States, in 1915. And that case involved the editor of the New York Tribune. Uh, he had been privy to information about customs fraud happening at the docks and was subpoenaed to testify at a criminal trial about the fraud. Uh, he refused on Fifth Amendment grounds that he might incriminate himself, ended up being uh, held in contempt and jailed. Woodrow Wilson issued an unconditional pardon, but Burdick refused to accept it because he didn't want to testify. He didn't care if he was going to get the pardon or not. In all likelihood, Burdick probably didn't want to cross the people that he was engaged in this conspiracy with. Uh, but the Supreme Court considered whether or not someone had the ability to refuse a pardon. And the verdict ruling covered three different things. One, they confirmed that the president can issue pardons before there's a conviction. It's after the conduct has been done, but before a conviction has taken place, that's fine. As long as the conduct has happened, a pardon can be issued. 
They also confirmed that accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt, but because of that, they also pointed out that the pardon has to be accepted for it to be effective. So Burdick had the power to decline that particular pardon. Now, it's a little interesting in Sheriff Joe's case because the crime that he was charged with was contempt of court, violating a court order. It is not for violating people's rights. So from the standpoint of civil evidence, it's a bit nuanced. We have this notion of uh, what's called a collateral attack on a judicial order, where rather than challenging the order directly, you challenge it through a different route. Uh, In a civil case, you can introduce the pardon as evidence that Joe defied a court ruling. I don't know that you'd be able to introduce it to prove that he actually violated people's rights. I mean, that's a you could still prove that same thing using the same evidence that was used in the previous trial, uh, but it's not as clear-cut, I think, as folks that are commenting on it wish it were. What I'd like to see happen, frankly, is to have the judge lock him up, hold him in civil contempt, where what happens is you end up being held in jail until you, what's called, purge the contempt, typically with some kind of, uh, quote, purge payment is what they call them. Uh, the judge can do that, and the president can't touch civil cases. So if he gets held in civil contempt, we'll see what happens. Uh, but either way, I hope there are a bazillion lawsuits against Arpaio and his family and anyone else that aided and abetted the scumbag for the rest of his life so that he's tied up with so much litigation that his grandchildren will need lawyers. Uh, so, folks, that's going to cover it for this particular Law 140 on the contours of the president's pardon powers. That's going to end it for this entire episode. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Please make sure to join the conversation online if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter. We are at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. Follow me on Twitter. I am at Greg underscore Doucette. That is at G-R-E-G underscore D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. You can join the Patreon community at patreon.com slash Fisk. You can leave us a five-star rating or write a review on the iTunes store and on Stitcher. Uh, Please do all of those things. We would greatly appreciate it. And on behalf of myself and Mike, the sound guy, I hope all of you have a great week ahead and say a prayer and donate some cash to the folks who are being hit by the Hurricane Harvey remnants down in Texas. Take care. (laughs) 